Howdy folks, welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories, yet another episode, and we've got another exciting guest for you today. It was Joe Hall. He's not such a nice guy, isn't he, Joel? He is, he is. And uh, the, the good thing with Joe is he's exactly the same as he is in person on camera as well. Yeah, no, it's, I remember first, well, very brief, briefly seeing him in Amsterdam and mm. having a very brief chat with him, but I was instantaneously... Um, thought yeah you're a cool guy I like you and it was a pleasure having him on today and we discussed um, obviously journalism and his role in in that space of writing content for Cointelegraph and things like that and all the things around it that was quite an interesting chat uh, what else did we discuss Joel can you remember <laughs> uh, <laughs> such serious so much we we discussed it was it was it was quite a lot in the episode i mean uh, one of the things that stuck with me was his uh different views on bitcoin around different corners in the world because he got to travel yeah. because of his um older job with like bloomberg and now with cointelegraph he's obviously always uh out and about trying to send people sets so that was i think cool as well to see that it's mm, the way we perceive bitcoin is very westerny and mm, there are mm, still mm. a lot of countries who, who who desperately need bitcoins like we live in a luxurious position over here in the west and uh yeah, yeah absolutely. so uh, that was that was quite big <laughs> yeah no he, he's obviously been around the globe and seen bitcoin in different parts of the globe so and, and how different it is um in different places in the world so that was quite a fascinating conversation you're right so um we'll let people go in and enjoy the episode so yeah listen to it enjoy give us feedback as always and we'll see you on the other side take care guys welcome back everyone to rabbit hole stories with another exciting guest on today uh you know the spiel i'm joel we're here with my lovely co-host hey guys it's ian here and today we have uh, Joe Hall with us, or Joe Nakamoto. I'm not. I'm never really sure how to introduce you, but I'm going with the full doxing name. Uh, and uh, yeah, we well, welcome you on the show, Joe. It's nice to have you here. Cheers, Joel. Cheers, Ian. Uh, yeah, I am full, full send on Joe Nakamoto, but I'm also fully doxed with Joe Hall. So uh, whichever way you put it, the, the cat's out of the bag. It's a bit like, you know, Pleb Music and Max DeMarco, right? He, he's trying to recover his original yeah. name, whereas I'm trying to... I'm trying to get the Joe Nakamoto name going. I really, I, um, you must have seen the clip as well where he comes out, he's like excusing. I was like, holy shit, what has he done? And then yeah. you get the whole build up. It's like, oh, it's just a fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you actually um, registered with like your legal name at Cointelegraph or is it Nakamoto in like your bylines? Uh, when you say registered, like it's a, you know, no, it's a I crypto mean, media publication. There's, I don't think there's much legal stuff going on. It's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do their work and they pay me. It's, it's, even the uh, the nature of the contract with them is like a gentleman's handshake, which again is one of those things that draw me to work in the the Bitcoin and crypto space. Sorry, I should have said trigger warning. I've said the word crypto like three times. You 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 have lost like five <laughs> listeners already. Yeah. Like, who's this shit coiner? <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's no uh, there's there is like a one page contract in place, and it does say like my my legal name. Um, but um, it's you know like if I compare that to how. Uh, my old like job contracts were, which were like, you know, 14 pages and all these things. It was quite weird and quite refreshing. But obviously all those pages are in place for a reason. You know, at some point someone has taken the piss or someone has fallen onto bad times and that's why they've got this extra addenda or appendix in there. Um, so it's it's been interesting navigating, working in the, the Bitcoin and crypto space. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the, the yes, I am registered as Joseph Hall, but I have actually thought about trying to change it to Joe Nakamoto to make that more of like a brand. 
I, I just remember you got once picked up by the Guardian with a tweet and like everyone was able to reply underneath your tweet <laughs> yeah. how you should change your name. <laughs> that was brilliant. Maybe we'll able to link that tweet. <laughs> it's still, it's still, it should still be there, you know, which is, oh. yeah, every time I change my display name on Twitter, because, you know, it started off like light things like the Guardian says, buy Bitcoin. And then progressively, yeah. I think we were chatting about it and it ended up being like Epstein didn't kill himself. And <laughs> <laughs> Embracing the true oh, wow. conspiracy theory side of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe for the listeners who are not in the know who you are, can you give us uh, a brief introduction as to what you do and uh, how you got on board into Bitcoin? Sure, thanks, um, and yeah, thank you very much for having me on, guys. Um, I'm currently at work, so if I suddenly uh, drift off and just slack conversation or something, then I do apologise. But um, as my work, I am a reporter for Coin Telegraph. Um, I used to call myself like a full-on journalist, but I think I'm increasingly becoming like a content creator. And I think that the journalist word is a um, you know, we don't do a lot of investigative journalism at Cointelegraph as it's just not that kind of outlet. And I've realized that sort of the hard way by trying to like deliver on scoops and this sort of thing and realizing that, you know, they just don't have the resources for that and they're not built out to be that kind of outlet. So I focused, like my beat is um, effectively like human interest stories and uh, sort of interesting comeback or underdog stories within the Bitcoin space. I try to write exclusively for Bitcoin which I think is really important because Cointelegraph is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, sort of crypto media outlets. And if you type in anything related in, uh, to crypto into uh, Google, Cointelegraph is always in like the top three results, if not the number one spot. It's like it's in phenomenal for SEO. And it's really funny because that's quite widely understood in the Bitcoin world. You know, people like Samson Mao and people like Corey Clipston are really keen to get their content onto Cointelegraph, knowing that it's shit Cointelegraph because of, it's it's reach. It's a it's a phenomenal reach. Anyway, I'm going to stop shilling Coin Telegraph now. Um, but yeah, I, I started work for them uh, like a year and a half. I know uh, what am I on? Like a year and a half ago, something like that. Maybe a bit longer. Um, and when I sort of interviewed with them, I said, you know, I, I want to write about Bitcoin, and uh, they. I don't think they really believed me that much. And also I said, like, I want to do what I did previously, which was bounce around um, sort of de developing countries. Because I, I used to work for like a Bloomberg subsidi subsidiary called Oxford Business Group. And with them, I was posted to sort of exotic countries around the world. And I, I said to them, you know, I want to do this, but in the Bitcoin world. And again, I don't think they really believed me. And so like the month after my first job, my first like month there, as I'm going to Senegal, um, I've, I've heard there was a story there and they're like, uh, okay, is there even internet there? And I was like, yeah, of course there is. And you forget that, you know, a lot of people's idea of or concept of Africa or, you know, developing countries is like, there's a stream and there's people washing their clothes in the stream. And that's, you know, that's, that's the extent of it. And um, I came back with a, a bunch of stories from there. And uh, since then, they've like trusted me to like go, go to random places around the world and, and pick up stories and really try to connect with um, some of those amazing stories in the Bitcoin space, whether it's, you know, um, the first lady in West Africa to sell um, fish for Bitcoin, which is just kind of really fun. Um, and she set up a little Bitcoin fishery business. Um, or it's, you know, one of the stories this week was, uh, it was like quite funny, was how... Uh, a fella, Parman, the creator, who you might know, who orange-pilled uh, ChatGPT or Decentra Suze, you know, the, the lady that did the amazing article in City AM. Her son gave a Bitcoin talk at, at, at school, so I like, tried to orange-pill his classmates. Uh, th these kind of stories, they're like fun, lighthearted, and, uh, you know, human-oriented. Um, but just, again, I see it as they, they serve as like positive marketing for Bitcoin, which is often, you know, destroyed in, in regular media for being like this faceless organization that's burning the, the ice caps. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. And then I also have my own sort of personal interests where I, I like to make sort of funny videos and try to just generally be a Bitcoin cheerleader. So I try to sort of give out free Bitcoin to people um, to places I travel around the world. And initially I was doing it just for fun. And then I realized that it's an amazing way of sort of getting a sense of adoption in a, in a place or a country. Um, and uh, yeah, just it really put, pushed me out of my comfort zone, which I really like to do. And uh, I realized that the Bitcoin community loved it. And I'm sure you guys have realized that, you know, the second you start throwing stuff into the Bitcoin community, you're like, oh, wow, people are getting something from this. This is great. Like, I'm going to keep going and keep, you know, working harder at it. So it's um, as with Bitcoin knowledge and Bitcoin learning, it's also very addictive. Um, so you can end up spiraling and working ridiculous hours, which is what I'm doing at the moment. But, you know, it's, it's fun and it's worth it. And I, I do feel like I'm I've convinced myself, sorry, that I'm contributing something of worth uh, to, to the world and to the space. So, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. I mean, I just, I had um, yesterday, like 2 a.m. or today, essentially, um, I couldn't sleep. I was like, you know, my Bitcoin books look a bit weird in my bookshelf. Let's just reorganize them <laughs> at like 2 a.m. <laughs> wow. My neighbors must have been, my, my neighbors must think I'm like a fucking psychopath, but like, yeah, they look nice <laughs> now. So they're like organized by category and stuff. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Where we, uh, I need, I need uh, details. What categories did you split them up into? Is this like macro philosophy? I don't know. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. I, I think like I did um, macro philosophy, um, sort of, I wouldn't call it for world stories, but, um, you know, sort of human rights stuff. Um, okay, and I think yeah. mining, mining is probably a big, big portion of the books. I still need to read upon them. Nice. My organization skills are all over the place. My, my, my Bitcoin books are <laughs> spread, they're like spread across different places. And I, I'm just yeah. looking them. I'm, I'm at my office at work at the moment, my Fiat mining job. So, um, I'm taking advantage of the time for Bitcoin here so that they can go fuck themselves. Nice. But I've just, I've just seen, I've got the, the, the cover for the uh, Bitcoin standard just laying on the on the shelf somewhere. And I've just got like, <laughs> a random book somewhere else hidden away here that I'm just bringing to work. Yeah, so forget nice. organization when it comes to my Bitcoin books. They just go wherever <laughs> I go and they, they're half read somewhere here and there. So yeah, you're more organized just, than I've I just am realized well. the que- I've just realized the question I asked you is kind of like a, a team building like a, or like a Bitcoin icebreaker question. So how mm. do you organize your uh, Bitcoin books at home? <laughs> you know, it's a bit like asking someone like how they stack their dishwasher. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really sorry, listeners. I promise I'm more interesting than this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you are joe i mean what i was going to say is that the, the the work that you are doing for bitcoin is phenomenal in my opinion because you're, you're bringing the human into bitcoin you're going out there and you're having real life conversations with real life people and you're and you're, you're sort of having these just frank but open discussions with people you're very open and warm and you you're open to hearing the other people's opinions and and they're they're um, and how Bitcoin is or isn't working for them. Um, and, you know, I, I know that in the past um, you might have got some stick for working for what people consider a shitcoin um, uh, outlet. But what I think they fail to sometimes forget is that the signal that you're putting out there in this, um, you, you put it uh, out there that they're one of the main outlets for the crypto space. So, the, the noise that you're providing is going to be amplified more than just, um, you know, working for some other sort of obscure outlet somewhere else. So. Oh, thanks mate. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It does, uh, you know, being a Bitcoiner at a, a shitcoin uh, publication or a company 
does come with a, a lot of hurdles, let's say. And it's funny because I've since sort of made friends with other maxis that work at like Coindesk or that work at, um, I'm trying to think of where the, uh, not, I don't really know many guys at Bloomberg or CNBC that are, like, I'm not close with them, but at, at Coindesk, there's this guy called George Kaloudis, who's uh, like a maxi and, uh, it, it, it's funny how you know how when CoinDesk released their top 100 people in crypto last year, and it was like oh, and everyone we freaked out. Yeah, 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 because no Bitcoiners yeah. were on there. Yeah, well, yeah. So George like caught, caught loads of slack for that, and it was like mm. he's just a reporter, you know, he's not the CEO. Mm. And I and it's funny because I'm currently overseeing the top 100 of Coin Telegraph at the moment, and obviously you know, so I I wrote like Naive Bukele's profile, and I was like, yeah, I, I really want to write that one. And um, there was a few other profiles or like Bitcoin is in it. And I helped to write the taglines and like the, the catchphrases for those ones. But then when I looked through the rest of the list, I was like, I've got to hold my hands up here. I have no idea who these people are. Like, mm. <laughs> who is this person from this crypto project? Like, I, I like to be up to speed with these things. But for a lot of them, I was like, I just don't know what this is. And I know that when the list gets released, it'll be like, um, you know, what are you doing? Pandemonium. Uh, yeah, like I thought you were a Bitcoiner. I mean, it happened the other day. Like we we had a, an article published about Craig Wright, and um, like I, in, Fuck I him. thought, he, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I've brought him up already now. So that was the one thing we're not going to talk about. <laughs> fuck, but yeah, <laughs> literally fuck that guy. And everyone in the Bitcoin space knows that this guy is what evil or mentally unwell or maybe both. And yeah. when. <laughs> So we had like this article that was obviously like a clickbaity kind of thing that was like, here, here are the seven people who could be Satoshi Nakamoto. Like classic sort of evergreen content for Bitcoin, for crypto, for people new to the space as well. The article is always going to do well. And, you know, you've got the usual suspects in there from, you know, Adam back to, um, well, Craig Wright, unfortunately. And I basically <laughs> argued that we shouldn't have Craig Wright on our platform at all because it just it's not a good look within the Bitcoin community. This guy is going out of his way if then one's not up to speed with who Craig Wright is. Like he he claims to be Satoshi and anyone that says he isn't, he takes them to court, sues them and makes their life a misery. And he's done this so far to Hodlinor and he's done it to Peter McCormack and he's anyone that goes in his way, he will block them, i.e. Joel. <laughs> I'm now actually blocked as well. So I'm joining the Craig Wright block brigade. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I tried to be like, guys, I, th I think this looks really bad. And then mm. they, they published the article and Hodler Nort DM'd me being like, I'm going to like talk about this. I'm going to, you know, make, you know, make a, a scene of this effectively. And I was like, shit, let, let me try my hardest to try and get this revoked. And I didn't, I failed. And no matter how, high, how hard I try to explain, like, I don't think we should put Craig Wright on our platform uh they, they yeah they continued with it anyway and then it ended up being like a discussion between hodlinor and our editor-in-chief on twitter and yeah hodlinor basically was like i want to cancel cointelegraph because of this and i completely understand why he'd want to do that this is why mm. it's important that you're working for cointelegraph because you're providing the the voice on behalf of a lot of bitcoiners so you're you're you're, you're mm. trying to put the signal out there um that maybe some communities aren't aware of and you by being in that mm. position in this in this shit coin telegraph whatever you want to call it you know you're mm -hmm. you're there as a representative for us so thank you oh, no not at all and when i say shit coin telegraph i mean it endearingly i like obviously they're my oh, employer of course I absolutely uh, I've, got, I've got some friends <laughs> much there, love but, um, much love to them much <laughs> love to them <laughs> <laughs> but and, and the other thing I'd just say is that, okay, while well, I'm doing a good job and stuff, you should also like put me under the microscope and scrutinize me and my actions because there are no heroes in Bitcoin. And if you do have a hero, well, you can have some fun slaying them at some point as well, because we're all just human and we're all stumbling through this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you get a lot of Bitcoiners though, having their favorite 
um, sort of influencer and like no mm. matter what happens or what they do or what they say, it's, it becomes gospel. And I think that is sometimes mm. a bit of a dangerous territory to go down. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. And I, I saw it a bit with um, Corey Clipston last year, who I have like massive respect for. And, you know, he did an amazing job calling out all these scams and Ponzi's last year. But we're also putting him on a pedestal and it almost became like, you know, here comes Corey. And I mean, you see this with a lot of people. Um, and the more we big, big them up, the bigger the eventual fall will be. Um, it's, it's, it's the beauty of Bitcoin there, right? That everyone is, mm. can at any point be on the chopping block. And we're seeing that play out at the moment with the ordinals and the inscriptions and things. So, yeah. Yeah, which is definitely on the agenda for us. But just to get back what you said, that's actually what a lot of people, doesn't really have to be in Bitcoin only, but like outside of the media landscape don't know about. Immediately when they heard like, you're a journalist or you work in media, it's immediately like, oh, you're always lying. They have no clue how hard it sometimes is behind the scene to like pitch your story, to come up with original ideas. Yeah. Um, you mentioned investigative journalists before. I have a few friends who are. And I mean, if Bitcoiners are good with like, you know, living off basically noodles and just walking around with the same T-shirt each day, these yeah. guys are like aliens and the experts to survive on like 10 <laughs> grey T-shirts. <laughs> Yeah, well, like I missed pounds. that. What is it? You know, oh, panties for Bitcoin. Go on then. <laughs> but free T-shirts. Like it's a bear market, so I'm surviving off my free T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So a job. I think it, it brings up a good point. What you mentioned. It's it's not always just because someone works at like let's call it the enemy. Mm. And for the listeners in the audio form, I'm doing like quotation marks uh, between enemy. Um, because it's hard. It's it's hard mm. to convince everyone immediately. And I like that you brought up the Slay Your Heroes thing, because this is what we're trying to do with the podcast. Um, mm. I written a post a few weeks ago, which I cut some slack on Twitter for with DMs, where I said, um, I wouldn't categorize myself as a maxi. I'm more of an enthusiast. Like, mm. I only hold Bitcoin. That's the thing in crypto. Let's just call it that case, because people will associate it with crypto. Mm. Um which I believe in. And I think it's good to believe in something because you have your well values, your morals and stuff. Um, and like, you know, what, what, what are all these big investors always saying? Like only invest in what you know. So if you look at it from an investment standpoint, why shouldn't I invest in something I have no fucking clue about? Like the 110 <laughs> people you set in crypto. And I think that's an issue for a lot of, um, especially us Bitcoiners. We immediately think, oh, they are in Bitcoin. They must yeah. be doing good. And I mean, obviously, there are people who want to harm and want to do something else. So um, it's good to have have that mindset that sometimes you're going to question what you read on Twitter, especially yeah. on Twitter. I actually read that article. I thought I thought it was um, pretty fair. Like, you know, I mean, I, I struggle with the word maximalism at times as well. And I'm always yes. like, I'd rather be like a Bitcoin minimalist, maybe. Or um, mm. because even when you talk to, I mean, I asked Safety Namus this in uh, a conference in December. Uh, someone from the audience asked, um, like, what happens if something comes along that's better than Bitcoin? Mm. And and he was like, well, basically, I think we'd end up adopting that. This is like to completely condense his very long-winded and very, you know, well-reasoned answer into just a line. But he basically said that, yeah, there could be something that comes along that's better than Bitcoin. I mean, lots of people have tried to make something that's better than Bitcoin. A lot of them, it's like a token um, or a shitcoin or whatever. But there could be a new concept that we haven't discovered yet and haven't invented yet because we just haven't thought it up. But, you know, I, I draw sort of... Uh, inspiration or security, I guess, from people like Adam Back trying to spend, you know, months and months trying to hack this stuff. Or, you know, back in 2012, was it? And he was like, there was no way of improving the level of decentralization without comp compromising on the security or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's important still to keep this, this open mind and to not be just completely black and white and dogmatic about like, yeah. this is Bitcoin and this is shitcoin. You know, it's, I, I get that, you know, tokenization is like pretty evil, but, um, but what if there is another way of doing money that we haven't invented yet? Because, you know, we're in this amazing age of exponential invention on digital means, you know, like on the internet, you know, like if, if people told you there was going to be Bitcoin and Noster and, you know, all these things we have right now, which we take for granted, then what does the next 10 years look like, the next 20 years look like? So I think that it's yeah, still important to keep that open mind. But I don't know, the, the whole maximalist camp, maybe maybe I'm referring more to the toxic maximalist camp mm. and their... Um, I, I think you're right because, um, you know, I, I think I've said this before, you know, I, I, we, we've been open-minded enough to open our minds and accept Bitcoin. So we should continue being open-minded and sort of keep our eye on the landscape, see what's going on, you know, and, and just absorb it and, and know it for what it is. Um, but then when you, when you, when you sort of become hard nosed at it and you lock your sort of, you, you become kind of toxic, toxic within that, um, you, you shut yourself off from ever progressing again in, in the future. Mm. Um, that's my mind. That's my mindset. I don't know if it, you share that in any way, but yeah, I, I just, I, I know that you know, the, the idea of like creating a token is just, you know, you're, you're creating a money yeah. and inevitably there's going to be some unfairness with that. The fact we can't have this accidental discovery ever again, you know, yeah. obviously yes. Satoshi made mm. Bitcoin with the promise of it would have wealth one day, but it was also an experiment that everyone thought was like, stupid when it started you know there's only really Hal Finney that trusted in that uh you know a couple of days later mm. was like no let's give it a go and he so he did mine for like two or three days without there being any monetary value to do who's just expending energy for you know the 50 50 bitcoin per block um back then so i think to have this accidental uh, discovery of money you know it's like maybe we discover a new element that's like a better better money like uh, i don't know i'd have to you know i'd have to smoke a lot of weed or take a lot of shrooms to understand you know what is this new money going to look like is it going to be like a neuralink thing there's a lot of truth to that in a matter that i think a lot of us forget that a it was a it wasn't an invention i think satoshi didn't come out to say in 15 years, it's going to be worth, I don't know, 20 grand a Bitcoin. Mm. It really was a discovery and born out of the, the, that discovery, sort of the grassroots movement kicked in. Yeah. Um, and especially if you go into like the earlier days where uh, you read the messages between like the cyberpunk list when Satoshi was mm. exchanging with them, a lot of them like played the idea down. Like, no, we tried digital gold. It didn't work. Um, and this is all context. I think a lot of maxis, especially toxic maxis are missing. Um, and I'm completely on board with you. Like everyone can do whatever they want, but like, just don't go out with the intention of like shoving scamming. opinions and stuff down people's throats. Yeah. Scamming, whatever it is. There yeah. are also scammers in Bitcoin, which is something a lot of people forget. So yeah. Yeah. That, that, the hard way. There's a lot of people that do have, um, you know, ill intentions in the Bitcoin space. And mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it's funny, the, um, I did a YouTube interview thing with a guy, like a, an Australian content creator who I thought was like a Bitcoin casher recently. And I kind of did it out of curiosity. And he basically wanted to dunk on me about Lightning and about how it's like a failure. And, um, you know, we set up a wallet live on his YouTube stream and like I sent him sats from here and it all works smoothly. And I was kind of like, um, this isn't going very well, mate. <laughs> um, but he kept coming back to me. Like he's been in the space or around the space for like seven or eight years. So inevitably, you know, he, he's lived through the block size war and, mm. you know, the, the, the soft fork that came off the back of that. And he was sort of asking me, like, 
and I, I'm, I'm relatively new to the space, you know, when I compare myself to other figures and people that I look up to in it and, you know, only really started taking it seriously, like properly seriously, early 2020. Like in 2019, I was buying Bitcoin, but I had no idea what I was buying. And I was like sat on Coinbase watching the price go up and down like an idiot. Um, so if you're doing that at home, just stop it, go outside, enjoy, enjoy your life. Price, price action is eventually going upwards at some point, but that's the whole point. Um, and yeah, so he, but he's been doing this, you know, for seven or eight years and he'd seen this um, Bitcoin Cash uh, fork and, you know, he got the Bitcoin Cash coins. You, you were around back then, weren't you, Joel? I, I feel like you've been in the space a while. Yeah, um, I, I basically, I, I did the whole, um, I think Knut spoke about it in his episode about this. He wrote like a guide how you got your cash and then I just got them and basically exchanged them. I think I bought okay. the laptop. <laughs> I nice. didn't save. I did the bad thing. I didn't invest it back into Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, I was around then, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a completely different time for sure. Yeah, and um, and he was basically sort of saying like, did you do you not know the history of Bitcoin? Do you not know like the importance, like the significance of these events? Mm. And it did raise an interesting question for me: was that like, yeah, I my understanding of all these periods in Bitcoin history is through books or through scrolling on Twitter or through like people podcasting it, and I think it's it really does take away from the lived in experience of. I mean, yeah. when I read the block size war, I was like, holy shit, that sounds so stressful. <laughs> like you've got your life savings or your career built on this invention. People are literally going at it to try and increase the, the block size and, you know, hard fork Bitcoin. Like I think once I read block size war, that was when I was like completely convinced that no one can shake this thing because it really did capture um, how close Bitcoin got to changing and moving away from this sort of ossification process that it's trying to enter into. Um, so yeah, if anyone's reading and hasn't read The Block Size War by, I think it's Jonathan Beer, um, mm. who actually met last year in Edinburgh, who was at the Edinburgh conference, which is really cool. Mm. Um, then yeah, it's, it's a really good book to, to read. And it's a really good book to read right now if you're struggling with conviction around this uh, this funny digital technology. Because uh, for me, it re really helped and uh, it helped clarify these things. But my point was about the lived-in experience and the fact that, um, yeah, when you're just looking back on these times and reading it as like an observer, it's very different. And that's kind of also why I like asking questions to people that have been around the space for so long. Like John Carvalho lives in Lisbon, Obi Nwozu lives in Lisbon. Um, and you know, these guys have, these guys were actively participating in the, in the, in the block size war, which is kind of cool, right? It, it feels like it's ancient history, but it was like seven years ago. It's weird, right? I mean, in Bitcoin years, that feels long. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe one day I'll be considered an OG. For, you know, buying Bitcoin in 2019. <laughs> yeah. So you've probably got on board 2020. Um, how did you discover Bitcoin then, Joe? Well, the first time was uh, buying stuff on the Silk Road when I was like 18, 19. And uh, I got really frustrated with Bitcoin. <laughs> I was like, what is this useless technology that I've got to wait 20 minutes for it to c confirm what's all this about? And it was really hard to get your hands on. And I basically ended up giving up. And my friend, uh, who's actually still around sort of Bitcoin and crypto space, um, he he was like the main sort of driver for, for the use case of Bitcoin back then. But it, it was kind of cool, but I was more excited about the Silk Road than I was about Bitcoin. <laughs> because, you know, if you wanted to like smoke a bit of weed or, you know, do some shrooms or whatever, then, uh, you know, the, the, the old fashioned way is get in someone's car and like shit your pants a bit because you're a teenager. Um, and no one wants to do that, right? It's just a bit of weed. In most places, well, some places around the world now, it's legal. Um, so I hope I'm not ostracizing listeners with my sort of like liberal approach to to to, to, to plants but um yeah so i learned about it back then and thought it was naff and was like this is you know not interesting and then and there was another touch point in 2017 when people were talking about it in the office at the job that i worked at in london 
And that was actually when I was living around the corner from from Ian um, <laughs> uh, near Hammersmith. And uh, again, it was one of those things. Was like, oh, this this weird token is you know going up in price. And there's some discussion about ICOs, but I was too cynical and too skeptical to be like actually in- interested or even invested. And then it came round to early 2019. Uh, well, I started to learn about it. But, uh, realized that it wasn't a scam when I was living in the Ivory Coast doing a job there, and the driver. Of uh, he, he, it wasn't a flamboyant thing having a driver. It's just natural if you're doing these projects in a lot, of, a lot of places around the world. He would, you know, take me to work every day, and he was receiving money from his son who lived in Paris. And I was like, huh, this Bitcoin thing. People are actually using it as a, a means, you know, a tool to improve their lives, and because it was cheaper, faster, more secure than Western Union, and he could, you know, hold it himself. Um, whereas if you wanted to send euros to the CIFA, which is like the, the, the West African franc, then it would have taken, I don't know, maybe like a few days to send it over. And on top of that, you would have lost maybe 20% in terms of fees and um, the fluctuation of the, the currency as well. Uh, so yeah, he was he sort of set me on this realization that, oh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this Bitcoin thing. Maybe I should, uh, you know, suspend my uh, preconceived ideas about this this technology. And then, yeah, I don't know what inspired me, but it must have been price action, I guess. In like late 2018, early 2019, I opened up a Coinbase account and started to buy it. And I distinctly remember being on the roof of my flat in Trinidad and Tobago, like this small island at the bottom of the Caribbean. And it being like beautiful sunny day, like 30 degrees. And I was like, I just done like some yoga or something. and was like about to work out. And I was there like gripped, like looking at this candlestick chart on my Coinbase, Coinbase Pro account. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I, you know, tra- like, it was also like, it wasn't even trading. I had like a couple hundred quid in it, which was, you know, <laughs> some money, but not, you know, enough to be like, oh my God, I'm going to lose this for the rest of eternity. And uh, yeah, at some point I, I stopped the, the trading thing um, and just started buying a bit more regularly and thought I had like, you know, conviction. But then I don't know if you remember the 2019 run up and then the crash, it went up to like near 10K or something and then basically halved in a couple of days. And so obviously I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I sold the bottom. <laughs> I was like, fuck this, fuck this Bitcoin thing. Um, went back to my normal life. And then uh, I think I had left like maybe 100 quid in that Coinbase account. And it, and it took me till uh, I think like September, or October of 2019 before I started to you know, actually get conviction. And then finally COVID was like the the nail in this coffin, which was probably more nail than coffin at this point because um, I had so many touch points <laughs> and so many opportunities to learn about it, but just didn't properly uh, properly plunge in. And then yeah, it was COVID when I went down the rabbit hole and was downloading Bitcoin into my brain. And I basically lost my job at the start of the pandemic, got sent home from Tunisia uh, with my tail between my legs and was quite you know, depressed about it all. And I uh, thought, well, now is the time to properly learn about money, about finance, about how to never get into this problem or this situation again. Uh, because for me, it was like a real tangible experience of, oh God, this is what it feels like to be uh, completely like, you know, on your own financially speaking. Um, and I actually had to move in with my parents, which obviously sucks because 26 or 27 years old, you know, thinking that I was like relatively successful bouncing around the world. And then, yeah, got sent home without pay, without job. And yeah, took up residence in what used to be my old like teenage bedroom. So that sucks. Um, and yeah, got a job in a factory around the corner from me, uh, putting musical instruments into boxes. But the advantage was that I got to wear big headphones like Joel's wearing mm. and with sound counselling. So it, you know, dimmed, uh, sorry, it, it masked all the sort of swearing and banging of stuff around me and meant that I could just go, you know, 
through through Bitcoin podcasts from A to Z and really get orange pilled, so to speak. And that's when I started picking up the books as well. So in a way, it's thanks to the pandemic that I am here where I am now. But that's also because I'm an eternal optimist and try to see the, the bright side of these situations as well. Like, the, Yeah, you know, what's that saying? When, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> and it seems like yeah. exactly what you did. You took advantage of a situation where some significant changes were happening. You already heard about Bitcoin. You, you were kind of already mm-hmm. invested in it. But you decided to plunge yourself down that rabbit hole. And uh, obviously, if, if you're fully, fully down in that warren somewhere, Uh, (laughs) of the bitcoin rabbit hole so yeah that's interesting but if like a psychoanalyst was to look at my story they'd be like oh of course he latched onto bitcoin because you know he didn't have much else going on in his life you know this (laughs) and that's something i do wonder sometimes i'm like is it that Bitcoin really works or is it that we're just really looking for this solution and this way of hoping about our future and our existence? Like yeah. I recently started reading or audio, audible listening to the mandibles and you know, it's this horrible I've projection of the future that, yeah. in 20 years time. It's amazing, right? But it's so depressing and it's so close to being a reality. Right. And so I'm like, thank God for Bitcoin. And then I'm also like, God, before Bitcoin, I was quite <laughs> depressed about our future. So maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on this Bitcoin thing to solve all our you know humanity's issues um and you know the bitcoin fixes this meme is a very strong one but at the same time i'm like oh shit maybe i'm falling into the trap of thinking that bitcoin's gonna make everything mm. okay and rosy in the future mm. um, so yeah i have to check myself sometimes yeah i actually um i'm gonna sound like a complete prick and for the people watching the video even having a patagonia west on completely fulfills that picture but i had i had a lunch with my parents uh dinner sorry with my parents yesterday in canary wharf Mm. Um, in a very fancy restaurant called Rocka, where you get Japanese super spicy, nice, nice food. And it immediately brought that image back to me because you were mentioning like, um, you know, we sort of were depressed or I don't have much going forward. But if I then looked around all of the, the bank employees around me, I think they had client meetings after work and stuff as well. Isn't that the case for like everything in life, whether you be like working in the finance world or whether you're a journalist, I guess, at one of the big newspapers, as soon as you probably leave your journey or your environment a bit, I feel like everyone starts losing hope in some way, shape or form, unless they're like in the super eternal optimist all the time or, um, yeah, always high on wheat. I don't know. You sort of go down either way. <laughs> we all have to have those things which keep us going, right? And, yeah, you know, it, it could be, but, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I found that it's not that Bitcoin is my calling. Maybe it is like it is my calling, but you know, helping people understand it and um, educating people about it and sort of brushing off this negative reputation really does give me meaning. And I found that through my job, I am much happier doing what I'm doing and much happier putting in the hours in and you know, just contributing in the way that I can because I believe in this movement behind me. And I've never been in this ideologically driven position or pursuit before and that sort of thing that makes me wonder oh gosh have you fallen into this trap of being uh you know my my I mean, my dad actually uh had a chat to me recently where he was like joking around about it and you know he stacked some stats and he he, he recently learned how to properly take self-custody and i'm you know, very proud of him but at the same time he was like you know you remind me of those evangelical preachers that i used to hang around with when i was 19 <laughs> traveling around australia <laughs> And I was like, yeah. shit, because I really try to tone it down when I talk to normal people. Like with you guys, I can mm. be like evangelical and like, oh, Bitcoin is hope. But with normal people, I really <laughs> do try to be like, because, you know, if you if you say, oh, Bitcoin solves climate change, people are like, all right, bro, chill yeah. out. No, it causes it. That's the first response. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
No, it's, it is a constant yeah. struggle because when you've invested those 10,000 hours or you, you've, you've, you've come to these realizations because of Bitcoin, you then, you know, can't help but sort of when the topics come up, sort of like the urge to sort of like bring Bitcoin mm. into the conversation yeah. is, is, is the difficult one to rein back in sometimes. Yeah. And I'm sure you've all had that situation with partners or friends where they just give you that look. Like, oh God, yeah, you, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been around the fair dinner. T- I've been around a dinner table too many times where my missus just looking at me like, "Don't," and I'm like, okay, yeah. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> "It's the it's the the meme of the um the couple that's out to dinner and the dogs there and the, the, they've got the hand over the dog's muzzle, being like, you know, don't don't tell them about how you know the world's financial system is built on a lie and all this sort of stuff." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always have the fun discussions where two bank friends of mine, well, one actually works at a bank, the other one works in a fintech. Mm-hmm. And um, we always end up at like, well, if you look at this this way, everything is a Ponzi scheme. So I think you like either have mm-hmm. the, the very normal discussions and you're trying to like orange pill a normie, or mm-hmm. you completely fall down the other option and you go down like, like the fat is a fiat, uh, is a Ponzi scheme. Um, I obviously hear Bitcoin is one I respond like central or fractional reserve banking is one, right? So I think if you mm. if you end up in one or either cab, you're either very happy and unknowing, or you sort of think you know it all, but you're depressed all the time. So <laughs> try, try and choose the camp you want to live in, guys. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can relate, can relate. Joe, what I'm interested in is that you you spend quite a lot of time traveling around the world. Um, and I see you, I see you on, um, socials all the time and you're just like, you seem to be everywhere. Um, I'm intrigued. Uh, something I've always been curious about is, is how the, uh, how Bitcoin, um, is in each of these different places. Is it different? Is like the tone different from place to place? Mm. Um, I know you spent quite a lot of time in El Salvador recently. Um, mm. what, what's the general kind of attitude around Bitcoin across the, the different parts of the world? It's amazing, right? Cause it, it does vary dramatically and, um, it's often quite surprising like in, in, in Bitcoin land in El Salvador, sorry. I was um, amazed at so, so firstly, like Bitcoin is completely recognized there. Like the, everyone knows what the Bitcoin B is. Everyone knows what basically what Bitcoin does, that it's money. And that in itself is like an amazing plus one for a country. Because if I compare that to Biarritz, you know, in France, Southwest France, like France, Bitcoin adoption is shocking. You know, you can walk through a town carrying like a giant Bitcoin B, you know, doing all sorts of stuff related to Bitcoin. And people just think you're a madman and wouldn't have any idea that it's related to Bitcoin. Like I had... Uh, there's a couple of videos that I did, one for my own channel and one for Cointelegraph's channel. And you know, like, in, I think in one of the clips, um, this lady's like, oh, I recognize that. It's like the B of my bracelet. And I'm like, no, it's a decentralized money. Like, what's going on? And you know, she's just trying to, she's being really friendly and nice. She's trying to relate to me, but she's never heard of the word Bitcoin before. Um, in St. Lucia, where I've got hopefully a video coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, fortunately, my, my, my girlfriend's dad um, took us on a uh, holiday there. I said never be able to afford it myself, and uh, I did a couldn't resist doing a street video there. And again, I was like, "Ah, oh, like, can I send you some Bitcoin?" And they're like, "I don't want no Bitcoin." And I was like, "No, no, no, no! I didn't call you a bitch. Sorry, you know, bit, bit, hard <laughs> coin." And you know, went on like this. And I was like, "How have they never heard the word Bitcoin before?" Like, I know we're in a bubble and we're in this great big echo chamber where we think that you know adoption is at hundred million people around the world already, but it's really not. 
you know, mm. um, and of that 100 million people, like there's probably 1 million that are actually like custodying their keys. Most right. people are just, mm. you know, stacking sats on uh, some Coinbase exchange and dabbling in some shit coins here and there. Like it takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of conviction to get to that level where you generally think, okay, this is the next world's reserve currency. We just kind of get blinded sometimes by the Twitter effects and, you know, the, the echo chamber effect. But yeah, so I think that yeah, to answer your question, sorry, to go back to it, um, where has been like the best place for Bitcoin adoption? Probably uh, like Switzerland is very, very high for that sort of thing. Um, the US as well. I mean, the US has the best sort of on-ramps into Bitcoin. It's probably the easiest place to like sort of go from zero to Bitcoin quite quickly. Um, you know, like Cash App is integrated Lightning, for example. Like most people yeah. in the US have Cash App. That's kind of huge. But I doubt that people are actually sending Bitcoin there. Um, because it's a taxable event and a lot of people are really wary of that. So I think that in some jurisdictions, they're pushing for adoption in ways that maybe don't fit um, their mm. current sort of uh, problems. Like in, in the US, it's a different narrative to how it would be in, say, El Salvador and a, a very different narrative to how it would be in, I don't know, Puerto Rico. So I think that that also plays into it. And then the other thing I've realized through my videos is that when you're doing street videos, culture comes into play a lot. For example, in yeah. Switzerland, it's a much colder culture than, say, El Salvador, which is more Latino and like happy to talk to random people on the street. You know, Before you know it, you'll be singing a song with someone. Whereas in Switzerland, most people are like, yeah, fuck off home. Like, I do not want this tourist in my country. Um, so that's been quite eye-opening as well and an unexpected but funny consequence of, uh, of trying to sort of suss out adoption in, in, in places around the world. Whereabouts in which part of Switzerland were you? Was it just Lugano? Yeah. Yeah, just Lugano. I did I did four different spots in Lugano because I, I got uh, a couple of like angry people uh, not interested in, you know, me talking to them. And it's it's the Italian side of Lugano as well, which you'd expect to be a bit more extrovert because, you know, the Italians like I'm obviously stereotyping here. I'm really sorry, guys, if there's any like really woke listeners. But, <laughs> you know, like Italians generally tend to be a bit more warm and welcoming than, say, Swiss or Swiss German or you know, or Brits even, you know, I, I don't consider Brits to be the, the most warming and welcoming culture as well, especially if you compare it to like a yeah. Colombia or something. We're right? a miserable lot over mm. here. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Because I was just thinking next time Joe is in Switzerland, I have to take him like into the Swiss German speaking parts because it's 10 oh, times yeah. worse there than it is in Lugano. So. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Um, you, and what I really like about your work, Joe, is you, you actually bring in a very valid point. You brought up Cash App, for example. I personally believe that is the quickest way for, let's call it mass adoption or a lot of people using Bitcoin through these intermediaries. People mm. will pay with their debit card and use the Lightning Network, for example, but they have no fucking clue what the Lightning Network is. I mean, they don't even know yeah. what the Visa and MasterCard Network is. So why should they know the other one? Um, or they will ho hold some form of custodial service probably where they'll mm -hmm. be able to quickly exchange their bitcoin into sats um yeah the bitcoin into fiat sorry um have you seen uh, maybe like the regions around africa and south central america where people if they got bitcoin become a bit more aware like okay maybe there's more to this story than just like you know the wallet i have on my phone or mm. are they generally quite happy and like oh yeah i know how lightning works but i don't really want to spend more time in it or is it just yeah. that vastly different it, yeah, it does just so depend on the country. I mean, like I thought it was really interesting last year, the narrative about Bitcoin in Africa. 
you know, mm. a, a load of like really big name Bitcoiners went to like a very small African country where there is some Bitcoin adoption and said that Bitcoin in Africa is the next you know, big narrative. And it's like, guys, like Bitcoin is illegal in like six countries in Africa. Like there is no Bitcoin in Africa. There is Bitcoin within certain territories or certain regions. But um, it's like lazy to just like look at Bitcoin in Africa and be like, oh, it's going to take off. Like Morocco, where I tried to, like I literally tried to orange peel people in Morocco for four weeks last year. I got one story which was bang average. And I found one security guard who I found who, who actually stacks sats. But most people don't want to talk about it because it's illegal. And so obviously mm -hmm. they don't want to talk to a journalist about it. They definitely want to talk about it on camera. And so if you think about that in the other regions of Africa, oops, sorry, my Siri just was talking to me. That's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, the, yeah, the legality of it is obviously a big hurdle and that's going to stop any kind of adoption um, to, to Bitcoin. And, you know, if I compare that to Tunisia, again, that was, um, I've been laughed, I was laughed out of offices <laughs> for bringing up Bitcoin there. Um, so it really does vary depending on where you are. I don't think there's like one standout country within Africa, although um, South Africa probably would be it. Um, given that, you know, you've got so many uh, Bitcoin communities there that are doing really good stuff and are doing it grassroots. And on top of that, you seem to have a couple of like big announcements for this year anyway, like Pick and Pay is like a big reseller there. And now they're supposedly accepting Bitcoin and Lightning at all their stores, although I'm not sure how well that rollout was going. And the other thing is that pushing the payments narrative is or pushing the payments way of adoption is is useful, right? But I don't think a lot of people see Bitcoin as a payments technology yet. You know, mm. like I, I use Bitcoin for payments because I'm paid in Bitcoin, but most people aren't paid in Bitcoin. And that's the thing with El Salvador as well, right? No one is paid in Bitcoin yet in El Salvador. So no one is really spending Bitcoin. The only people spending Bitcoin are the Bitcoin tourists coming in or maybe some like, you know, Americans or Europeans that, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Like even like, so like the World Surf League hosted its first tournament in El Salvador for like 10 years because it, it left when the, the crime rate got really bad. And this is like another success story to, to Naibu Kelly. But so there's like lots of surfers that follow that tour. Like I've got friends here in Portugal that went to El Salvador before I did because they are they are surf fans as opposed to like Bitcoin fans, you know. And so I was really keen to hear from them before I went to El Salvador. How was your experience? Did you pay in Bitcoin? Did you like, did it sort of orange pill you? And they're like, nah, just paid in dollars and, you know, just got it done. And that was the easiest and most convenient thing. And yeah, I saw a few Bitcoin stickers here and there, but I don't really know how it works. I don't, you know, care for how it working, how it works. And so it was like a slow thing. And it was a little bit frustrating for me as well, because obviously I'm trying my hardest to sort of orange pill them as well. No, it just goes to show how, how early we are really. You know, it's just it's just a reminder of how early we're because it's it's easy to get trapped in when when you're only consuming or the vast majority of your day is just consuming Bitcoin content, whether it be podcasts, YouTube, or reading or whatever, and just being involved in Twitter. Sometimes you can get a distorted view about um, the spread of Bitcoin, uh, and sometimes it's it's nice just to get reminded actually it's still early days, very early days. And it's nice to get somebody with your experience going around the world uh, with the Bitcoin banner banging that drum, but also being able to see um, in real life what impact Bitcoin is is uh, having. And I, I suppose the longer you do it and the more you're in this space, you start to see it increasing over time. So it must be a fascinating position for you to be in just to sort of observe the world adopting Bitcoin. As slow as it is initially, uh, I imagine it will reach a point where it just becomes you know, a sudden, sudden increase. 
Yeah, I think the price is going to do a lot of that work as well. As unfortunately, that is, or fortunately, I'm not sure, it is the best right. marketing tactic. And also, shout out to yeah. Mike Still because I did just completely steal his idea. You know, I saw his videos um, prior to doing it myself, and then I got sort of thrust in the position of uh, doing this. You know, I basically did a street interview at the World Economic Forum in Davos, and that inspired this journey down the YouTube um, street interview rabbit hole. And um, Prior to doing it, I reached out to Mike Still and was like, hey, buddy, I know you do YouTube street videos. You do them about Bitcoin. You do them all around the UK. Like, I really like them. I was thinking about doing them myself. And all credit to him. He was like, yeah, man, do it. Like, it's a, it's a lonely thing out there. And it's really cool that um, you, you're interested. And since then, I've you know, we've been chatting and um, he's a great guy. And yeah, he does also really good uh, street. He also does them with a lot more money. So he, he gives out like 50 quid in Bitcoin, which is a lot more significant than me who's doing it off my own back. So I'm usually giving out like, a, you know, a fiver if they're lucky in Bitcoin. Because <laughs> it's, it's quite expensive to do this. And also, mm. um, uh, you know, I, I don't edit the videos myself. I, I pay a friend who's a Bitcoiner to edit them for me. And, you know, I, I don't want to uh, rip him off like he, he has skills and he should be remunerated uh, accordingly and so yeah it's a <laughs> yeah i basically operate this whole thing at a loss but so do you guys with this thing i imagine you know you're giving up your time your energy and you know whatever subscriptions you have you have to use to to use this software so i think that's also another amazing thing about the bitcoin community is the altruism it's the generosity it's the fact that we're all <laughs> sacrificing uh weird things to to to, to further this movement but again, that makes me wonder, am I mad? Have I put all my eggs in one basket and am I putting too much hope on this one thing, you know? Mm. I think it it helps having different, uh, it will sound very cliche here, but it really helps having different uh, interests. And I also think it helps to not just focus on like that one particular bubble. Mm. I, for example, I'm, I think I'm very privileged in that way that I still am able to like, Obviously, I have my Bitcoin clients and uh, you get paid in Bitcoin. You know, sometimes you can keep it. Sometimes you need to exchange it to fiat. You still live a life, right, in the fiat landscape. But I also have the other side where I work for like a lot of fintechs. I work for um, uh, basically family offices where I write content and help them educate people. And you, you get to see the best of both worlds because yeah. that's what going to be very unpopular with a lot of toxic maxis there are still normal people living in like the banking sector, in the media landscape, whatever it will be, who get Bitcoin, but they, you know, earn their salaries in fiat, in pounds, dollars, mm. in euros, whatever. And they get that it might be a possibility to save up, but they look at it as an investment form. Um, mm. Hence, which is why they compare the price. If it falls down 65%, you can tell them how all the best things in the world, like how this is good and people can accumulate and stuff. They still see it at a net loss of like 65% and mm. not as a net benefit for maybe getting in cheaper for the next few ball runs. Um, sure. But yeah, is that, is that something you would also say is an issue in the traditional media landscape because you were on that now famous panel in Amsterdam, um, which I also think is a good for Bitcoin, but we can discuss that later on. Do you think that's an issue that a lot of these journalists, because generally they are generalists, they don't really focus on one particular thing. They look at it, they're like, oh, down 65% again. It's lost, it's dead. We can move on. Or is there maybe something else to that story? Yeah, the, the generalist thing is, is interesting, right? And I even find that with my own job now, like I... You know, even at Cointelegraph, I'm supposed to write about crypto, but like anyone writing about crypto, like how on earth can you cover this industry, which covers everything from NFTs to DAOs to the to the new world reserve currency? Um, it's impossible to be 
a generalist in crypto because you just can't keep up with it. There's too many things going on at any time. And so like, mm. I, you know, I wanted to double down on the Bitcoin side of things, but even within the world of Bitcoin, like I'm not up to speed and I'd like to be, you know, I'm acutely aware of my, my short, my forthcoming, my shortcoming, sorry, in a, in the Bitcoin space. Like I, I'm still not up to speed on ordinals, for example, which is like the news of the past like four days. And, uh, you know, it feels like there's a new uh, thing to be concerned about or to be aware of in the Bitcoin space every, yeah, every couple of days. Uh, so yeah, I think that in the traditional journalism world, like when I used to cover, um, uh, you know, reporting around the world, like I was like an, an economic journalist, you know, even when it comes to um, asking about the economy, you know, it's such a broad term. You know, if you're looking at, say, the Ivory Coast, are you looking at like, is cocoa exports going down over time? Or are you looking at the educational level of like, or are you looking at the, the demographics of the country? There's so many things you can look at here. So when a term like Bitcoin or crypto comes up, there's no chance you're going to be a specialist on it. There's no chance you're going to be able to give an actual mm. nuanced argument or a nuanced sort of explainer of what it is. And so that's what happened when I covered uh, Bitcoin and crypto in 2018. You know, I had a couple of articles that I wrote that were about um, how crypto use in Africa was on the rise. But my, my article was crap. Like looking back on it now, I've since removed my name from it because, you know, <laughs> I don't want that to be found. Um, but it's uh, um, how could I know the ins and outs of that? And it also makes me think, how could I accurately report on lots of things without having that you know experts insight into it and it makes me think that a lot of journalism nowadays is just like a bit crap you know you might as well just rely on chat gpt for your for your, for your news for these sorts of things rather than um you know a journalist who's expected to know about three thousand fields of study at any uh, one moment it's just um you know it's, it's ignorant of us to anticipate or to expect that these journalists would actually know what they're talking about like why are we putting them on such a high pedestal in the, in the first place mm. and so yeah it, it kind of i think yeah your comments were leading to the the panel with uh jemima kelly in, in amsterdam but uh, it's funny i'm actually hanging out with her in two weeks time oh nice, oh, nice. I, I, you know i i genuinely <laughs> yeah. believe just before i leave the question to ian again we all have different interests different lives outside of stuff mm -hmm. and um if you've ever been in the shoes, um, even something as simple. So I used to write for a think tank before I got started in um, sort of freelancing for family office and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the companies I was writing about was sponsoring that think tank. So like naturally, whatever I bring to my editor's table, he's going at like, okay, uh, you you can't do that because like they're paying our salaries essentially. So I think that's a big <laughs> issue. You, a lot of people still forget that there are also relationships behind the scenes yep. that are important to keep in face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and people forget that there's also a lot of relationships within the crypto space as well. Like I've had to write a few articles before mm -hmm. because Cointelegraph has a relationship with certain people. So there's, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is a great thing about Bitcoin, right? It teaches you to be critical of certain things and to look behind headlines and to realize that, oh, okay, like the reason why this company is promoting X is because they've probably got ties with it as well. Um, yeah. But also, I think the pandemic woke up a lot of people to that as well. You know, there's mm. a lot mm. of what's said in the media is, is crap. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting being in Amsterdam yeah. on the, in the audience. Um, I, my, um, I was a little bit full of uh, indica uh, when when it was all unfolding, and it certainly um, well, it certainly woke me up. Um, particularly the amount of light. Yeah, looked at me like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's indica in the couch, after all, isn't it? It's yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was it, it certainly. Um, one of the highlights of Amsterdam, that panel, and you and Rizzo held strong. Really, it was it was it was nice for you just to sort of um, just let them really just sort of 
exposed how ignorant I suppose they are to Bitcoin. But also at the same time, you know, some forgiveness there for me, I suppose, because they're they're in a different world than we are. Um, you know, that they they've got different pressures than we have, I suppose, uh, particularly in their roles as as journalists. So, you know, it's a difficult one and a complicated one to sort of um, unpack. But it was certainly something that created a lot of uh, discussion, um, mm. which is al- always a good thing, right? Discussion is always a good thing, um, no matter what side of the offence you're on. It's all bullish for Bitcoin in my mind. Um, <laughs> but on that point, what is it that we can, as Bitcoiners, can do better in the space for Bitcoin? How can we better bang that drum? Mm. Yeah. Given that you, what you just said, you know, relevant to people that are anti-Bitcoin, I guess with, with those kind of people, it's, you know, be more patient and, you know, eventually most people do come around to it. I'm still optimistic that people like Jemima Kelly, for example, will come around to mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Right. But in the same breath, someone said this on Twitter recently, like Bitcoin adoption is kind of like triage during a war, <laughs> you know, get the people that, are, you know, amputees or you know having cardiac arrest deal with those guys first and then we'll deal with with the walking wounded after that and you know i think that i mean my approach to bitcoin has been like who cares about bitcoin in the west (laughs) you know in the uk as well you know we've got a relatively stable currency that yes it trends to zero over time but it's over quite a long period of time and it's it's quite hard to sell bitcoin to people and to to promote it um and it's most people don't care about censorship resistance, even though we should, and it should be this, you know, this human right or, you know, this tool for freedom. People aren't acutely aware of it the way that they, you know, Canada kind of opened up people's eyes to it, like the SARS protests in Nigeria did. But again, it's still too far away from uh, their, their present realities. So I think that we need to, well, what I'd like to do as well is to focus on places where they're going to get Bitcoin a bit quicker. And those tend to, to mm. be in younger demographic places um, because just naturally it's a digital money. So it's harder for older people to get. No offense to any older people, but it's just one of those things, right? You, you no should, offense taken. People, <laughs> 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 the voice of the older people. Um, and also um, go to places where they don't like their money. I mean, this is why I really love Bitcoin adoption in West Africa, because they genuinely hate their money. You know, they see it as this colonial relic that is controlling them and that is uh, making their lives uncomfortable. And so Bitcoin comes in, it's like, well, it literally does fix this. You know, it's, it's a better way of doing uh, your affairs and, you know, money shouldn't be this monopoly. And if you can opt out and use Bitcoin, then, then good for you. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a question of sort of, if focusing your attentions on places where you can really make an effort and a difference and also being more patient and being a bit more uh, kind, you know, lead with kindness with the people that are unfortunately still being obstreperous about fiat money. You know, like Jemima Kelly is a, is a classic case. Like she's not, she's a, she's very clever. She knows she's got this job at the FT. It wouldn't look good for her if she came out as a Bitcoin believer, given that she's created this platform of being a Bitcoin hater. Like, she would have to manage that in a way that would be good PR for her or for her brand. You know, she is still like quite a well-known writer at the FT. And so in order to make that switch, it would be, I don't know, like, do you think a Bitcoin company would really be rubbing their hands, looking at her, being like, yes, we want her to be, you know, head up our content creation or our media arm if she was to suddenly flip on Bitcoin? Uh, probably not, but the FT probably wouldn't want her either. Or maybe they would. I, I don't know how this plays out. But um, it would be, uh, she's got a lot more on the line. She's got a lot more to lose, um, given mm-hmm. the, the fiat position that she she has right now. Rather than me, like I was a nobody journalist bouncing around the world before I flipped into Bitcoin. So I didn't have as much to lose. So, you know, it kind of makes sense as to the, the incentives there. 
Um, but yeah, lead with kindness and focus your attention on uh, the walking wounded of the of the fiat world. <laughs> if if you manage to convince her to receive some sats, we'll we'll match that amount, uh, Joel. Here, I've literally tried three times. I, I tried once on the roof of the FT office in London, which is an amazing office, like incredible space. Uh, tried again in Amsterdam, and then I tried once over the phone. And I'm going to try, obviously, again two, in two weeks' time in uh, in Barcelona. There's this like blockchain convention, shitcoin thing in Barcelona. So, yeah, some people, eh? I think it's a good uh, point before we get to the closing question, because you see what Isabella did, for example. That was the second person from the FT, let's call it, even though mm -hmm. she's doing her own thing now. Um, you would almost go down this route where you give up your position at FT and then go into the scary thing of trying to do it on your own with yeah. no resources, no access. So that's the, that's a real scary part. But she, uh, have you actually spoken to her as well? Because um, I Isabella think like Kaminska. she's, yeah, she's slowly coming around. Yeah, she's, um, I mean, Rizzo calls her a doom coiner. So the idea that uh, this realization that, you know, fiat is doomed and Bitcoin could be the way out. Um, but again, it, it doesn't sort of play in, play a role in her sort of personal brand. Like mm. She left the FT or Alphaville, which is what Jemima actually works for as well, and set up her own thing and then started talking more openly about Bitcoin. So again, you know, what does that say about the ability to write about Bitcoin at the FT? <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's part of their agenda. And I've seen this with um, Scott Cipollina, who used to work for Decrypt, so he used to be a crypto writer. He got a job at the FT and it's hilarious because his writing has gone way more scathing and way more skeptical of, of crypto and Bitcoin since writing for the FT. So again, there's a reason why there's an editor and an editorial body and an editorial team that looks mm. at your work and, and changes the way you know that it sounds and you and either you go along with that and realize okay this is the voice that they want me to use or it gets edited that way anyway but you know you're, you're still uh, a cog in that machine in that journalistic um, body uh, so it's worth considering but yeah she's 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 coming around to bitcoin and i don't mm. think i think it's unrealistic to think that everybody in the world is going to become this ardent bitcoin maximalist that holds their mm -hmm. own keys and that sort of thing you know it's, it, i'd love it but it's it's uh you know diversity is also key to bitcoin and having isabella on i think she's team bitcoin let's be honest like the way in which she talks about things mm. as well and her own sort of experience of um seeing how her, i think it was her grandparents fled like the ussr mm -hmm. she was saying like wouldn't it be amazing if bitcoin was back then and that's like, well, yeah, she gets it. You know, she, she realizes that, you know, this unconfiscatable money that you can travel with, take 12 words, walk all over the world with, it's, it's really useful. Um, and it's there in those times of need. So again, it's this doom coiner narrative. But hey, if that's what orange pills you, then I'll take it. Yeah, everyone has their different journeys into Bitcoin. Uh, mm. Joe, before we close up, is there anything in particular we forgot to mention or you would like the listeners to be sent out <laughs> into the bliss of every podcasting player out there? Oh, thanks. No, uh, it's, it's nice you asked, actually, because um, I've got, uh, I'm trying to work out how to get Bitcoin content out there. And obviously, like, his. Mm. For the past like five, six years, I've been like writing, but not a lot of people have time to read. And also a lot of people, not a lot of people like to read or have the concentration span at the end of like a work day to do so. So hence why I sort of pivoted more into video. I'm trying to experiment with shorts and stuff. And um, with Cointelegraph as well, they have this great big video resource arm. So I've been like, can we make more Bitcoin content? And I've been doing that more and more on the Cointelegraph YouTube channel. And one of the big things that I'm really looking forward to its release, and I'm, I'm getting more and more proud of, which is actually quite cool, is uh, this Bitcoin mining, in doc uh, Bitcoin mining documentary in Ireland, where oh, nice. I think that the title of it is going to be like turning cow shit into digital gold or cow pat into digital gold, something along those <laughs> lines. Um, so I would really encourage people to check that out, which because it should be out 
end of February or early March latest, depends on the various drafts and things. And I'm trying to work out if that is a good way of getting, you know, Bitcoin um, adoption out there. And the idea is that you can send this to your mum or your auntie or, you know, your, your granddad, and they will still consume this and be like, you know what, that was quite entertaining. Uh, it was, you know, nice to look at, nice pretty drone shots of Ireland. It felt like uh, something we can relate to <laughs> because a lot of these things, when people talk about like, oh, flaring methane gas emissions in the US, I'm like, I mean... I'd never seen one of those, you know, sort of, what do they call it? What's the name of those those gas things that go up and down? This is really bad knowledge for me. But I'd never seen one until I'd been to the US myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those things. <laughs> those yeah. donkeys? I don't know what they're it? called. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, so a lot of the, you know, the Bitcoin media is quite Americanized. So I think having those uh, local touch points really helps. And this is one of the things I'm trying to promote. So if you like it, let me know, DM me or whatever, and I'll try to make more of that content. I mean, likewise for my uh, street stuff, my street videos, I'm trying to make this content which is more shareable and more easy to consume um so I'd, I'd love to hear feedback on that sort of thing and yeah my twitter dms are open um so feel free to to let me know but yeah and to anyone listening yeah just keep going you know there is a light in the tunnel and it is bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect ending then <laughs> that, joe thank very much thank you for being on uh being so open and uh, i think you'll definitely be back soon in the future because uh, there's definitely a follow-up for a lot of what we discussed today Ah, uh, when I start shitcoining. <laughs> I don't know. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, it's been brilliant. Thank you, buddy. Cheers, pal. Thanks, Ian. Um, Cheers. Lovely to chat to you both. Thanks, Joel. Cheers, Ian. Best of luck with um, Rabbit Hole Stories. Thank you. Thank you. Or Rabbit Hole Tales on Twitter. Ah, there you go. We don't need to link anything. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>